Welcome to Riding the Bus, powered by Best in the U.S. Showcases. I'm your host, Trey Fowler, and our goal here each time is simple. To help the listener grow closer to reaching their potential in the game of baseball through the help of some of the game's best and brightest coaches and players. Without further ado, let's get on the bus. Everyone and welcome to another edition of Riding the Bus, powered by Best in the U.S. Showcases. I'm your host, Trey Fowler, and we've got another exciting episode for you today as we welcome Ben Johnson, head of sales and strategic partnerships with Virtual Combine and former standout at the University of Texas for the Longhorns, where he competed in the 2014 College World Series. Ben, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing great. Excited to be on here. Appreciate you guys having me. We are so excited to have you on the podcast, not just to talk about um, your playing career, but to dive into Virtual Combine a little bit, which we'll do in segment two, give the listeners an idea of just what that is, the value that it brings to the table. And we also want to talk about a little bit about one big hot button issue now in amateur baseball, and that is metrics. And we want to find out what metrics college coaches are paying attention to most Before we dive into that, I think it's very awesome that you are the third Riding the Bus podcast uh, participant that has been to the College World Series and played in Omaha. We had Ross Kivett on, who went there as a coach with the University of Tennessee last year. We also had Scott Wingo on, current assistant at the University of South Carolina. He won two national championships at the University of South Carolina. I want to dive into that College World Series run in a little bit, but before we do that, tell the listeners a little bit about your upbringing in baseball and the recruiting process that you went through that ultimately landed you at UT playing for the Longhorns. Yeah, so going back with my background, I'm born and raised in Austin, Texas, Uh, lived there I uh, lived there for, man, practically my in, entire life. And going through high school in the, the club circuit and recruiting process, I played for the Austin Wings, uh, which is a, a great program and definitely one of the top programs um, in the country. have produced numerous players that have played in the, in the major leagues as well as Division I players as well. And going through that process, uh, I was actually a two-sport athlete. I played football. I played baseball. And I was really at first wanting to play football in college, but at the time uh, I was a a 5'11 dual threat quarterback and uh, college football was, has not, had not really adopted to that style of play yet. Now, obviously you see guys uh, like Kyler Murray, the Johnny Manziel's of the world, Baker Mayfield's guys who might be a little bit uh, smaller in size, but they're able to to play in a spread offense and uh, distribute the ball like a point guard would I'm in basketball. So I was a little bit, uh, a little bit before that, unfortunately, but uh, you know, it all worked out in the end. And, uh, and I ultimately chose to play baseball because that's where I felt like that's where I could play at the highest level um, from the college standpoint, as well as having a, a legitimate shot at playing professionally as well. And going through that process, I uh, had some offers to play uh, division one football um, as well as division one baseball and ultimately chose to play at the university of Texas with the Austin wings, the program I played for, I have to go back and look exactly. So these numbers may not be exactly correct, but we averaged probably, I would say two to three players a year that went to the University of Texas from that program. So it was really a farm system of, 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 of them sending athletes uh, to, to the University of Texas. So fortunately for me, I had a good, uh, good junior summer and they ended up deciding to pull the trigger and give me a scholarship offer. And then um, you know, once when when the University of Texas says, hey, we want you to come play at this university and here's a scholarship with it. Being a kid from Austin, Texas, being a Longhorn fan your entire life and being in that system where you're kind of bred to, to bleed burnt orange. And hey, if you're if you're a player that can play this level when they give you the opportunity, it's a it's a no brainer. You take advantage of it. So as soon as that happens, um, I didn't even have to finish them saying the sentence of, hey, we want you to come play. We're offering you a scholarship. It was, yes, sir. I mean, let's sign the dotted line right now if uh, if we can. So that's that's really my my process of, of going through it and kind of upbringing um, with everything. Well, that's awesome. And obviously, the University of Texas, one of the blue bloods, as they are called in college baseball, been around a long time, had a lot of success. I saw an argument 
going on on Twitter back at the beginning of the year talking about who are the actual blue bloods of college baseball. And I think when you think of that, the first name that pops into mind is the University of Texas. Now, people 20 years from now might think Vanderbilt, and they might have that thought process. You had a brother that played there for a little bit, did you mm -hmm. not? I, I did, actually, yes. So uh, you, you, when, you, when you talk about the blue, blue bloods of college baseball, if Vanderbilt's not thrown in the mix whenever we're together and uh, he hears that, he'll, he'll raise an eyebrow or two and, and just look <laughs> over and say, hey, how many national championships have we got in the last uh, – <laughs> the last decade, how many of you guys gotten? So, yeah, a little, uh, little sore subject, I guess, because uh, in, in 2014, uh, that, that was a team that that knocked us out, unfortunately. So every time that that gets brought up, some some bad memories come back into play. But, no, Vanderbilt's obviously a, a great program. Tim Corbin, he's an unbelievable coach. And, and just to, a, a, a little quick side story with him, I was at the ABCA convention this year and I, I saw Coach Corbin and his wife, Maggie, and I hadn't seen Coach Corbin in, in quite a while, but they recruited me a little bit when um, when I was going through that process as well and went up to him and, and, and said hi. And we started talking for a bit and his wife, Maggie, said, I remember sitting with you and your mom in, when you were in high school as a either a sophomore or a junior at the New England College Baseball summer league all-star game when your brother was playing and I remember uh, my husband coach Corbin saying hey the Will's little brother he could be a good player so uh, take some notes and see if, uh, <laughs> if he's a good kid or not and the fact that they still have that memory and have that passion that care about former players regardless if you were someone who is uh, a Dansby Swanson or someone who may not have played that much I mean they they invest a lot and care a, a ton about their players that way and, and the fact that they actually remember that's a pretty amazing to me so just a side note with Vanderbilt and just aside from being a blue blood that that program is it's unbelievable and they really care about you know their players and their their athletes as well one thing that you will find out as our listeners you know the best coaches in in college baseball and the ones that you want to play for and you strive to play for are the ones that care about you far beyond what you do for them on the field. And they remember those things. Those things are impactful to them. You gave a perfect lead in. You talked a little bit about it. 2014, your University of Texas Longhorns team made it to the College World Series, lost in walk-off fashion to the Vanderbilt Commodores. But that obviously was a special achievement for that team. Tell the listeners a little bit about what set that team apart. What made them different and so successful? Yeah, so I think really uh, rewinding the clocks a little bit, uh, Texas baseball at the time was in a very, very unique situation because that, that decade from 2000 to 2010, you could argue is one of the most dominant decades of not just Texas baseball, but as an entire athletic program as a whole. I mean, you had – two national championships of baseball, so 2002 and 2005, you had the Vince Young Rose Bowl for uh, which was the national championship for football, had some final four appearances for basketball and the, the women's sports as well. It absolutely dominated. And it, it was, it was looked at like, this is, this is probably the best athletic program all across the board in the entire uh, country at that time. Well, once when in my freshman year was 2013, that spring in the, the year before that 2012, uh, the, the baseball team had some really unfortunate injuries right at the end of the season and still had a pretty good year overall, but just didn't make the tournament. And um, when you kind of look back, you scratch your head a little bit and how the committee didn't get them and let them in um, to the to the tournament. And I think it had something to do with the amount of pitchers and arms that they had. They you know, they had guys blowing out their elbows at the end of the year and they didn't make the tournament. Then they made some changes on the coaching staff. Um, and, and ultimately decide to part ways with some of the staff members and bring in um, some new coaches. And in 2013, that spring, which was my freshman year, the, they thought that, hey, this is what we did on the staff. This is the best solution for the program. It's going to turn things around. Well, unfortunately, it made things a lot worse. Uh, <laughs> it did not, uh, did not really help at, at all as far as what happened on the field. I mean, we, we actually got last in the Big 12 that year and going into University of Texas, all you are, are you think is if you don't go to Omaha, if you're not competing for a national championship, you're a complete failure. And to get to the point where you didn't even make your conference tournament as a, 
as a team, I mean, it's beyond you know, that. You can't even like comprehend it. It's the most mind blowing thing ever to think that a University of Texas team would not make the conference tournament. They would get last in the Big Twelve that year. Well, that fall that we had, Coach our you know, Augie Grito, who's obviously a legend in the college baseball uh, coaching world, he did something very unique that fall where when we you know, go out there for fall practice, typically you're going through fundamentals, you're going through drills, you're playing in scrimmages and inner squats to see what guys can play in what positions or who's going to play what positions and, and all that. Uh, we didn't do any of that that fall. We actually it turned into essentially like Navy SEAL training in a military boot camp every single day where we, we would show up to the field, we would stretch, we'd get warmed up, and we would basically do like an hour – uh, essentially CrossFit style circuit on the field with doing some of the crazy stuff you've ever seen in your life with running with bats over your head, doing uh, wall sits and wall jumps and crazy medicine ball uh, carries and throws and all that. And then after that was over with, we'd play a, a coach pitch or machine pitch scrimmage and, and whoever would win that game would only have to do a 30 minute circuit after. And whoever lost that had to do an hour circuit after. And we did that essentially every single day of that fall practice uh, right there. And at the time we're all looking at each other, like this man has absolutely lost his mind. Like what, like, what are we doing? We're not playing, not playing baseball here. We didn't sign up to go to go into, into the military. And that was the whole mindset of it. But in the whole, the whole mindset of it was, you know, we need you guys to think that y'all have put in the work and you will do whatever it takes to win. And you guys need to have the mindset that, you deserve to win. And when we got to the spring that year, our mindset completely changed. I mean, our, our mindset was we have worked so much harder than any other team that's out there. I don't care what any kid says that, oh, we had to do this for a, a fall workout. Nothing would ever compare to what we had to do and we had to go through. And we had that mindset that we deserve to win more than you. And we're going to find uh, any way to do that and and we really did and we we at the I guess in the first RPI and rankings that came out I mean we were the number one team in the nation we were um, absolutely you know crushing everyone and then we had a few uh, weekend series that just some just some weird things happened we ran to a really good TCU team that um, Brandon Finnegan was a starter for them who pitched in is pitching the major leagues and Tyler Alexander is pitching Blue the Tigers right now, it's, and they have some other really good arms too. That you know, we got swept by them. We got we lost a series, Taiwan to Oklahoma State. We had a weird series against West Virginia, where our starting pitchers had to have emergency surgery the day before on on something with his neck, I believe, and and it just messed up the rotation. We lost three series right there, and we were able to take the reset button before we were going um, into the actual NCAA tournament, and we really we had a team meeting and it came back to guys. We, again, going back to what we went through in the fall, it doesn't matter about who's more talented about uh, any of those things. We deserve to win. And we put in the work more so than anyone else. And we're going to find a way to get this thing done. And we had some really good senior leaders on that team. Mark Payton, who, uh, who's, who's made to the major leagues with the, the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Nathan Thornhill is one of the, um, really you know, star pitchers for our team who was a senior leader that year decided to come back after turning down a pretty good signing bonus in the draft after his junior year and that was the mindset that we went back to and and we had along the way throughout that NCAA tournament we had some really unfortunate things that happened as well we had uh, Dylan Peters who was arguably our best pitcher at least starting pitchers on the team that year I mean, he's in the big leagues with the Pirates right now right before the tournament started he blew out his elbow and he had Tommy John surgery. And that was a huge blow for us where we had to find someone else to step up and, and fill that role and, and, and take over what, um, you know, at the time he was our Saturday guy and take over that spot. And we had uh, other guys playing with injuries. I mean, myself, I had a, a torn ligament, in my wrist and a fractured uh, bone that I had to have surgery at the end of the year with a right fielder, Colin Shaw. He had a broken hand that he got hit with the ball um, directly in the hand early in the year against Texas tech and was a clean break in his hand, but played through it. And we had some other injuries like that as well, but it just went back to that mindset of it doesn't matter what the skill or who we're playing against on the field. It's all about, we deserve to win and we're going to find a way to get this thing done. And we had a regional that we played at rice. It was Texas A&M rice ourselves. And I believe George Mason was the four seed and 
We won that regional, had some really tight games, especially a rivalry against Texas and Texas A&M that is not played as often as it should be. But getting to play against those guys was was awesome. And then uh, we we were fortunate that we were lined up to play at LSU, but University of Houston beat LSU twice and we got to host the Super Regional. And at that point, when we knew we were hosting, it was we kind of looked at each other and we knew that, hey, get your tickets, pack your bags, like we're going to Omaha because no one's coming into Dishwalk Field and going to take this away from us. And we beat them two games right there, clinched and got the College World Series, and then um, you know got to got to play in Omaha. And, and it was an unbelievable experience there as well. You know, we played UC Irvine the first game, lost a lost a tight one to them, and then we had to you know battle our way back. Played against University of Louisville, we won. Played Irvine again, we won, and then we played. Uh, Vanderbilt had to beat them twice and we knew that obviously Vanderbilt that, that team was they were so loaded I mean going across the board Dansby Swanson Tyler Beattie Carson Fulmer Walker Bueller uh, Brian Reynolds I mean as I'm listening to those names you're like MLB all-star first round draft pick it was it was all across the board I'm even leaving off some names that I'm not uh, I'm not thinking of right now but we beat them the first game and then the second game um, where we had to win or whoever won would go to the national championship series, just back and forth. It was like a boxing match where, you know, whoever you, know, you got to take a punch and you had to deliver one right back. And it was just back and forth, back and forth. And you know, they made some unbelievable plays and and we did as well. And then, you know, at the, the very end, went to extra innings with them and bases loaded two outs. I think it was either a, a two, two, one or, or two, two count hit a little dribbler to our shortstop and just, you know, wasn't able to make the play in time and they ended up walking off and winning. And then they ended up beating Virginia in that, uh, that championship series as well. So it was a, uh, it was a crazy, it was a crazy experience, a crazy ride, but something that I mean, I'm still obviously great friends. And those are some of the best friends I've ever made in my life on that team and that experience that we have, but just looking back at it, you know, coach Greedo, I mean, said before we got to cultural series, guys, this all goes back to what we talked about in the fall. I mean, we, we you guys deserve to win. And this quote that still sticks with me and, and all of us forever, the world treats winners a lot different than it treats losers. And that is so true. And you really got to, to feel that experience with in, in that quote kind of coming to life throughout that College World Series run that it is really true. And the, the man knew what he was talking about for sure. So that's a, that's a run now, basically that 2014 year. But like I said, an overall unbelievable experience and something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life for sure. I think one thing that our listeners can take from this or the biggest thing that they can take from this is something that we hearken back to in our very first episode when we talked about belief and belief in yourself and how be true belief, the ingredients that make that up. And one of those ingredients and the one that you can't shortchange and the one that separates guys that truly believe from guys that don't is hard work. You have to know when you step out there on the field that you've worked just as hard, if not harder, than that guy across from you and that you deserve success. If you doubt that for a second, that's where that self-doubt is going to creep in and you're not, not going to be successful. You're going to be one of those losers because the game knows who puts in the work and who doesn't. Coach Garrido was forcing you guys not only to understand that you put in the work, to be able to call back to the fact that you put in the work, but I'm sure he was also trying to weed out the guys that weren't tough and the guys that were weak. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, the guys that aren't tough, the guys that aren't weak, those guys are going to quit when the chips are down, when the odds are the longest. Those are the guys that are going to quit. They're going to walk away. And those are ultimately the guys you do not want with you in the rabbit hole when you're facing Vanderbilt in Omaha in an extra inning ball game. And he knew that. And that was you know, obviously that's something that would probably be looked down on today, may have been looked down on back then by you guys or what whatnot, but you have to, as a coach, develop toughness somehow. You have to be able to examine and evaluate toughness somehow. Sometimes you can do it in the recruiting process, other times you can't, and you want those guys that are tough, that are not going to blink when adversity hits, because in baseball, adversity is inevitable it's going to happen and I think that's a pretty cool story about how he developed toughness in you guys but he also gave you guys belief belief that you put in the work and you deserve success and that ultimately led to a very special 2014 season for the Longhorns and for yourself personally 
Um, along with that experience in Omaha, you were first team all Big 12 outfielder in 2015, Golden Spikes Award midseason watch list player, which is given to the nation's most outstanding player for our listeners that might not know exactly what that is, and an 11th round draft pick by the Kansas City Royals all in 2015. Many of our listeners share similar desires to one day be drafted, to go and play Division I baseball. What advice would you give to the listeners who have that dream or goal? Yeah, I would say the, the biggest thing, really, if you're starting off kind of having this conversation as a, as a high school athlete um, or an amateur is that it, it really is a journey. I know it's, it's a cliche, but there is a mountain to climb with it. But you really have to trust the process of, of ultimately reaching that goal. And I always, I always think of it as, you know, what, what's your main goal? If your main goal is to be a big leaguer, if it's to get drafted, if it's to play college baseball, be a starter in your high school team and whatever that is, you really got to take that goal right there and you got to reverse engineer it and think about, okay, what are the step-by-step ways that I can ultimately reach that goal? And if you just focus on those little things each day where, if it's, hey, I need to take 100 swings in the cage or I need to gain uh, you know, a couple miles an hour on my my fastball or whatever the case is, what are the things that you can do each and every day to ultimately reach those mentor goals, which will ultimately reach into the or allow you to reach your main goal of wherever that is. And I think that just understanding that there is a process with this and it's not going to come overnight, that it's a day by day, um, you know, a, work of art per se right and you have to constantly be able to just sit there enjoy the ride enjoy the moment and and what you're doing with your craft and just work at it each and every day and ultimately if you do that and those little things are going to add to the big things and you'll be you'll be putting yourself in a good position to ultimately reach that goal now really on the college side of things i would say for athletes too and that what i just said obviously applies to them but i think a big thing with with that and kind of the recruiting process as well is you have to go to a place that you feel like that you can develop as a baseball player to ultimately get to that, that goal that you have. I mean, there might be, for instance, a case where I'm just going to throw these two schools out there, a Texas or Vanderbilt, where they say, Hey, me, we may want you to play here. We may want you to come in and we're going to offer you a scholarship and all those things. But if for whatever reason, you don't feel like that's the best fit for you, or if you're not going to get in the field and develop as a baseball player, there might be other programs that are better. They may not better for you personally. It may not be as big of a program, but um, they're they're going to do a great job of developing you. I think one program that comes to mind, at least for me, and, and I'm, I guess I'm giving them free publicity here, but Dallas Baptist is one. I mean, Dallas Baptist in the state of Texas, where I remember my junior year, we were playing against them, and I'm not really afraid to say it. We were all looking across the line during the national anthem. I'm looking around. I'm like, this is the University of Texas, and that's Dallas Baptist over there. It the the jersey should be flip flopping because they look like men, and some of us look like boys over here. I mean, they what they do from a developmental standpoint, it's unbelievable. And it turned out to have some really good high round uh, draft picks that year. They hosted a regional, and I think it's it's huge just looking at a university as a whole for what they're going to do to develop. Uh, you as as a baseball player and, and and what the process is that they can provide for you to ultimately reach your goals for whatever that might be. I think you made some great points right there for our listeners. You know, the, the big one being, you know, you might have these goals, but without a plan to achieve these goals, then that's all they are. They're going to be an abstract. You have to put pen to paper. You have to plan it out And that plan needs to be process driven, which is something we've talked about in our controlling the controllables episode. If you go back and check that one out, you have to plan your work, but you have to be process driven to make it get there. You had the opportunity to play some professional baseball, got drafted, played some professional baseball. If there's someone listening to this podcast right now who's trying to, you know, they're on the cusp of getting drafted or they're fixing to be drafted, or maybe they just have been drafted and they're starting out their professional career, what advice would you give them to ensure, biggest piece of advice you'd give them to ensure that they can climb those rungs of professional baseball? Yeah, I I would say similar to what I talked about at first which just like I said where you have your main goal which at that point it's it's to be a major leaguer I mean that's what everyone's goal is obviously some guys aspire to be an all-star player a world series champion all those things which are part of becoming a major leaguer but that's everyone's goal and in that more so than ever 
you have to reverse engineer your thought process on how can I ultimately reach that goal? Because a lot of times what people don't understand what professional baseball is, you're playing obviously during the season, you got spring training, you're playing during the, the later spring in the summer. But when you're in the off season, you have a lot of time on your hands, especially if you are not going to instructional league as a younger guy um, or Arizona fall league or any of those things. There's a lot of time that you have on your hands and, and you have to sit back and you really have to put a plan together and put yourself in a good situation to, and put, and put yourself with good people to have a plan put in place where if I do X, Y, and Z each and every day and trust this plan, trust this process, I'm going to reach my goals of, of hopefully becoming a big leaguer. I mean, some of the things are out of your control. You know, sometimes there's guys that they flat out might just be better than you. They might, an organization might have more in money invested in a player more so than another. I mean, I've seen a guy who's hit 350 in back-to-back years in rookie ball and he got released. <laughs> there's nothing that you can do about that at all. And it was because he was a late, late senior sign. And it just, it just is what it is. But if you, if you really trust the process and trust the plan that you have put in place for yourself, then you're then you're going to put yourself in a good position to get to your goal, which is ultimately um, of being being a major leaguer. So I really think that's the that's the big thing with it. And I think the other thing of advice with that, too, especially in that process of playing professional baseball is at that point, you are your own coach. And it's it's weird to kind of sit back and think about. But your entire life, you really have had someone who has told you what to do every minute of the day when you're on a youth baseball program the dad who's coaching the team is going to tell everyone hey we're going to have practice at this time we're you're going to do these things and the same thing happens when you get to select baseball high school baseball and even college i mean college you have everything laid down to every 30 minutes of the day you're you have to go to this class you have to go to the study hall you have to go to early work at this time practice and here's your throwing program for the off season that you have to do and all these things When you get to pro ball, you're presented some of those things, but at the end of the day, you're your own coach and and you have to sit back and and figure out, okay, what works best for me? This coach, you might be telling me something that it might resonate for them, but if it's not working for you, you have to take ownership and figure out, hey, what, what do I need to do to adjust to ultimately put myself in a good position to show these coaches and show these front office members that, Hey, I can play at the major league level. And a lot of the ownership comes back to you as the, the individual athlete. So I, I would say those are the, the two big things is just really trust, just trusting the process. And it, it is a journey. It's, it's, it takes a while for you to develop into that player, but also too you being your own coach and, and you have to take ownership of your own career. And I think that that's a big thing that we've seen from a guy like Kyle Wright, who's now figured it out here for the Atlanta Braves and that's something that he calls back to. He wishes he would have been a little bit more uh, assertive as it came to his development early in his minor league years. P- people wanted to change who he was when he knew who he was, was going to be what was the most successful. And a lot of big leaguers, I've seen that same story happen now with several guys that are now playing in the big leagues. It took them a little bit while to get a little bit longer to get there, a little bit longer to find the success that they wanted to have or that they were expected to have. And many times it was because they didn't take enough ownership over their development and what's going on. We're off to a great start on this week's Riding the Bus here with Ben Johnson. When we come back, we're going to dive into his company, Virtual Combine, a little bit. He's going to tell us a little bit more about that. We're also going to dive into the metric side of the game and talk about what college coaches are looking for most in terms of metrics. We'll do that right after this here on Riding the Bus, powered by Best in the U.S. Vegas. Hello, everyone, and we are back on this week's Riding the Bus here with Ben Johnson, former player at the University of Texas and current head of sales and strategic partnerships with Virtual Combine. We're going to dive into that side of it a little bit today in our meat and potatoes segment. Ben, tell the listeners a little bit about Virtual Combine and speak to the massive value it provides and how that benefits both the players and coaches alike. Yeah, so what Virtual Combine does uh, for the, the individual athlete, especially for um, athletes attending Best in the U.S. Showcase events, is really provides a true 
one-stop shop platform that's going to allow them to brand, promote, and market themselves um, as a student athlete. And I think in this day and age now with uh, recruiting and how just crazy and hectic it's gotten. I mean, with social media, with uh, with camps, with events and tournaments and all these things, so a lot of stresses that go into it, especially for the player and parent side of things where they are constantly wondering, hey, what should I be attending? What camp should I be going to? What should we be posting on social media? What info should I send to college coaches? There's all these questions that they have that it, it really is – it's, it's sad to see now where people get so stressed out about this and, and what virtual combine will do for that athlete is, again, provides them that true one-stop shop platform that really turns into a LinkedIn-style resume for that player that they get to combine. When I say anything, I mean literally anything you can imagine that you'd want to see on that athlete all in one uh, centralized location. And really what the platform does uh, for the coaches side of things too is in when I say coaches I'm talking about coaches who are coaching for a club or organization a high school uh, program a, a um, an admin at an event company is it makes it easy for them to collect data have that data be evaluated in real time to be able to combine it with other content information to ultimately share distribute out through social media through email through text and make it that much easier to get info from point a to point b uh, with with one click of a button because what will happen is a lot of times at with programs or, or groups in the past with uh, with how metrics are, are getting to now where you have track man you have running times throwing velocities all those things it, there's a lot that you can take in on players but the problem is it's very difficult to have to take numbers on a clipboard and sheet of paper that's over here take your track man numbers get your throwing velocities and everything is spread out all over the place how are you able to combine that into one centralized spot, have the data be evaluated for you, have it be simple and easy to actually get in the system, but then ultimately provide that for the individual athletes to ultimately share and distribute out. So with especially Best in the U.S. Showcase events, what, what's super beneficial with it is when you guys are going through different metrics and measurables, so you're throwing velos, you're 60, track band numbers, all that, those numbers in real time are going to a leaderboard for that specific event, you're able to instantly start seeing, you know, not just where I, I you know, rank overall, but I can start going through different testing categories and start looking to see what I rank amongst everyone in the 60 time or position throwing velocities or all different pitching metrics and measurables as well. You're able, even able to filter all this down where if you want to look at specific groups of players, maybe it's by a specific testing category graduation year position groups or anything like that and start seeing exactly where you rank, how you stack up against your competition in there as well. So it's a really cool tool that you guys who attend an event are able to instantly see when dad's going in, right? Where you rank, how you're stacking up against your competition with all your metrics in there. But what's really unique about this on the, on the college side of things, especially as well, is that each event that best in the U S showcase will have They'll have their own event roster that's built in. So that way, as opposed to the old school pen and paper you know, roster that a lot of coaches will utilize, which is still great, but the, the platform will build in a digital roster for each event. So when a college coach wants to go look at a player, as opposed to going and Google searching and trying to find all this information that's scattered across the internet, when they want to click on one of these athletes inside one of these rosters, they want to click on an athlete's name inside one of these leaderboards and they want to learn more about them that's where it will take you into the athlete's own personal uh, player profile that again really acts as like a linkedin style resume for the athlete that before the event this athlete will have access to it they're able to upload uh, all their information in here so the basic things that coaches need with social media accounts academic information ncaa id numbers and all that and they're also able to upload different uh, types of videos in here so highlights of themselves before uh, the, the before the event even happens so in game training sessions other events they may have gone to they can link up any uh, and what we call an external profile so they have an account with any other outlet that's out there they can link it all up directly inside here so if i want to google search a kid's name or the top five or six links they're going to be and show up they can link that all directly inside of here as well and what will happen too is the athlete this is where they'll also be able to receive all their data and all their metrics uh, from the event as well so as soon as the metrics and measurables are going in the system 
it's going to go into this athlete's profile. So they have that all in real time as well. And, and with these tests and with all the measurables that are being collected on them, each event that you go to, you're able to go and see all your personal records, all your personal best that you've ever done, but you're also able to start tracking this over time. So you can see from different dates and events that you go to, Hey, how, what areas am I doing good in? What areas did I not improve in? So I can figure out next time I go to a best in the U.S. showcase event, what do I need to do to make sure I'm turning in a positive direction? So you can see the date in which the event was and all the different metrics and measurables right there. You can see if it's verified by TrackMan or another piece of technology um, with that as well. So it's a very cool tool for the athletes to, in, to be able to have, but also for the coaches to, before the event, during the event, after the event, be able to have access to all this information in here. And I think one of the biggest things with the platform too is that every single thing in here, Best in the U.S. showcases, will video verify as well. So when I see that this athlete's fastball by TrackMan is at 89.3 miles per hour, there's a play button next to the metric inside the player profile. There's a play button next to the metric inside the leaderboard. So that way, there's no one who can say, oh, they didn't throw this faster, they didn't run this hard. The eye in the sky doesn't lie per se. And then you can click on the video right there and then we can watch it with our own eyes as well. So it's a really cool platform with that, um, with being able to, again, be able to collect the data, be, have it be evaluated in real time and then be able to share and distribute that out uh, for, for people to see. And with, with that being said as well, the athlete, what's really unique about this too, once the event's over with, they have access to their profile that they're able to use to share out for college coaches directly through social media um, and all that is they will also have access to a college directory in here, which is very unique that when they leave that event, they're going to be able to access every single college's athletic website, staff directory, and admission requirements um, in the country. So they can then take this information, learn and research universities that fit them, and then ultimately be able to share that out uh, for people to see. So that's a little bit of a long way to answer with the virtual combine, but just going through what the platform does and, and how, again, it's, it makes it very easy for coaches to collect data, have it be evaluated and be able to and share and distribute it out and then be able to provide a true one-stop shop platform for the athlete to, to brand, promote and market themselves and makes it easy for college coaches when they want to find information on players. It's one click of a button and you got an entire athletic resume on that athlete all in one centralized location. <clears throat> I know I can speak for myself as a former collegiate coach that that is an awesome tool to have. And for you guys that are listening on the podcast and you're not able to see what Ben is displaying to us here on the video version of this podcast of, as a member of Bus Plus, I would encourage you to search for Virtual Combine, to go on the website and get an idea of exactly what you can have as a part of of attending a best in the U.S. event or, or someone else that partners with Virtual Combine because this platform is a great resource for college coaches. It makes their job so much easier. You hit the nail on the head. As a former college coach, I'm going to every one of these websites. I'm doing a Google search. I'm going to all of the different sites that a guy has a profile on to try and get all of the data that's stored right here in this one place. I also like to track how they have improved over the course of time, whether it be a 60 or their velocity or whatever the case may be. And instead of trying to pull all of that information together across five, six, seven different sites, it's a one-stop shop right here. And it's a great and valuable tool, not just for the players, not just for their high school or their travel ball coaches, but also the college coach who can find all the information they need right here, one-stop shop as it pertains to the athlete and his performance and what he can actually do on the field. Mm -hmm. Now, Ben, yeah. you've got a great and vast background as a player, uh, collegiately, professionally. Now you're on this side of the game. What, from your experience, what do you say are three metrics that college coaches are most looking at that could have the biggest impact and benefit for the player? Yeah, I, I would say metrics are, 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 they're, they are huge. I know some people, they don't like to accept the fact that we do live in a data-driven uh, game now. I mean, you see it all the time where there's different analytics and there's different uh, platforms out there that are measuring uh, these different things. So you see exit velocity, spin rates, and all that. I mean, these things, they do matter in front offices, especially Major League Baseball, are definitely uh, looking, looking into that. Um, I would say the first thing, if you 
kind of break it down looking at um, a hitter, I think that exit velocity, as far as the metric goes, I think that does matter. If you can hit the ball hard, good things are going to happen. It just makes it uh, difficult for players to defend, to get to get to a ball that you know, if it was, let's say, hit it 80 miles an hour versus 90 miles an hour, it's going to be a big difference for them to, you know, as a shortstop, make that play in the hole or, or get that ball that's in the in the gap that might be a single, but maybe turns into a double. So I think the first thing is, is exit velocity as a hitter. And as I say that, um, I don't think that hitters should be always chasing exit velocity all the time because you can create bad habits with that. But going back to, again, trusting the process where if you're getting bigger, you're getting stronger, you're mechanically or, or sound, your swings in the zone for a long time, you're going to ultimately hit the ball harder. And if you can do those things, then you're going to reach your goal of having a, a higher exit velocity, right? So I think that's the first thing there. Uh, pitching, I think it's it's similar with uh, with with uh, velocity. I think that if you can throw uh, a fastball hard, then people you're going to get in people's radars. I know that some people say you know you have to dot up or you can, can you know have control, which you have to have. There's no doubt about it. it, it only velocity will take you so far. But um, I think, and Trey, you can attest to this as well, being a former college coach that if you see someone who throws 80 miles an hour versus someone who throws 90 95 miles an hour you're probably going to look at the kid who throws 95 or 90 miles an hour first but again it goes back to we don't want to always just chase velocity it's not the only thing uh, that necessarily matters you want to trust that process of okay if i can do these things mechanically or if i can uh, increase my overall let's say body weight by uh, three pounds over the next you know three month period i can ultimately reach this goal of throwing 90, 92 miles an hour, where the case is right there. So I would say those are the two, the two big ones uh, right there. I would say the third one, um, I think that that spin rate in, in the, the different metrics that you see track man or rap soda and all those, I think it definitely, I think it definitely matters as well because I know as a hitter um, when, when I was playing, especially in, in college, you, you had track man, you had rap soda and these things, but they weren't as mainstream as they are now. And you would see some guys that would throw 88, 90 miles an hour. You go up there and you're thinking, man, it looks like it's coming out of his hand at 98 miles an hour. And you saw some guys in pro ball who may be throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour. And you're sitting there going, okay, I can see that really easy. And it's still firm. Don't get me wrong. But visually, it's 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 fine. And, and you're able to handle it. And the reason why is because the guy's spin rate at 88, 90 is much higher um, you know, relatively speaking, than the guy who is throwing 95 to 100 miles an hour. And you even hear about uh, big leaguers all the time talk about um, uh, spin rate, how it's a big thing. I know I saw uh, Alex Bregman talk about before in an interview who, you know, for the listeners who may not know who he is, I'm sure most of the people listening do. He's one of the top players in all of um, all professional baseball. And he was certainly one of the best players I played against growing up in high school. And I remember listening to an interview him talk about with the higher a spin rate guy, you have to change your eye level with the baseball because ultimately if a guy with doesn't have as high of a spin rate and it's coming in flatter, then it's it's a lot easier for you to visually see. But a guy who has a higher spin rate, it almost looks like the ball is rising. It's not actually rising, but it looks like it has that effect of it. So you have to move your sights and the ball up and you have to make sure that you're staying, you know, not shopping at the ball, but you're just thinking staying on top of the ball more so in the zone visually with it and that's tough to do as a hitter right so if you can have a higher spin rate with that as well um it definitely definitely will make it difficult for hitters to catch up those pitches that may not be fast on a radar gun per se but the hitters eyes they are for sure and let's let's be honest with our listeners and, and don't take this the wrong way if you're listening to this podcast metrics are important but they do not supersede your ability to play the game of baseball. But here's the thing. As a college coach, if they're going to go out there and they're going to recruit somebody, it looks a lot better and they can justify it a lot more if they're recruiting a guy that's 88 to 92 as opposed to the 82-84 guy. If they take a flyer on that 82-84 guy and that guy doesn't pan out, that coach is going to get fired. If they take a flyer on the 88-92 guy and that guy doesn't pan out, they're not as looked down upon when that happens. Should it be that way? Absolutely not. Should coaches 
be able to go out on a limb a little bit more and, and, and have the freedom of being able to evaluate who can truly play the game and who can't? Absolutely. But metrics have come become a big part of the game, especially a metric like you just mentioned in spin rate, vertical break, things that provide value to something that we didn't have a way to quantify before. We just knew, hey, this guy gets a lot of swings and misses or nobody can be on time with this guy. Now we can understand why and we can now find value in pitchers that may have not had value to college coaches or particular programs in the past. Everybody's going to value things differently. A coach at the University of Texas is going to value things differently than the coach at Piedmont College. Their metrics that they look for are going to be different. But at the end of the day, you want to position yourself in such a way that you can end up on one of those leaderboards, catch a coach's eye, and ultimately get them interested in you and watching you a little bit closer. That closes out segment two of today's episode of Riding the Bus here with Ben Johnson, providing a lot of great information, a lot of insight and background. What a great background he has. 2014 College World Series participant. Now he's on the other side of the game trying to help players just like you reach their dreams and goals in college baseball and in baseball in general, just like we are here on Riding the Bus. When we come back, my favorite segment of the episode every single time, on the bus, off the bus, right after this. We are back on this edition of Riding the Bus, powered by Best in the U.S. Showcases. I'm your host, Trey Fowler, joined today by Ben Johnson. And we have reached that time, my favorite time of each episode, on the bus, off the bus. I'm, <laughs> I'll give a statement or mention something that is relevant in today's game of baseball. Ben's going to tell me if he's on the bus. If he is, he'll give a little detail as to why or off the bus. And if he's off the bus, we'll move on to the next one. Ben, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All righty. Number one, this one's big, especially this season in college baseball. Bat flips in baseball, on the bus, off the bus. I have one foot on the bus, I'll say that. And the reason why I say that is because I think it's fun. I think it gets people excited. You talk to, to people now, they'll say that's more fun to watch college baseball than it is, profes- than it is professional baseball because you see all the, the, the stuff that, that people are doing. I mean, you look at University of Tennessee and, and how that program where – not too long ago, they were not thought of as necessarily a top, uh, a top of the nation or, or a top ranked uh, national program. But you look at them now. I sit back and watch, and I go, "Man, how are you as a high school kid not want to go play at that program and have all the fun that they're having when they're hitting home runs and all those things as well?" With that being said, I do think that some of it has may gone over the top a little bit. As a prime example, with University of Tennessee, um, they. The, whoever I guess they're playing Auburn, I think, and one of the players bat flipped a bat into their dugout. That is crossed the line a little bit. There are some fine rules with that where that's going a little bit overboard. But I mean, I'm hey, I'm I'm all for it. I mean, I'll never forget last year when I'm sitting there watching. Uh, I think it was Drew Gilbert. I think that's his name for University of Tennessee when he hit that walk off home run and flipped his bat. I mean, it felt like it was a hundred feet in the air. I mean, that was. You cannot, you can't tell me that there's more excitement that you'll ever have in college baseball than seeing that. So I'm one foot on the bus with the caveat of let's not go too extreme of tossing bats in other people's dugouts and all that. And our listeners will hear a little bit more about that Drew Gilbert story in a couple of weeks when we have Connor Pavoloni, former Tennessee catcher, on an episode of Riding the Bus. Number two. Trash talking the other team on the bus, off the bus. We see it a lot. It's happening at very young ages and it's carrying through into high school and college baseball at the highest levels on the bus, off the bus with trash talk. I'm going to go, I'm going to go off the bus on this one a little bit. Cause I think it's, it's gone. It's gone a little too far. And I do think it is setting a bad examples for kids at, at younger ages where it is, it is getting, a little bit out of control. And I think it's honestly feeding into some of the coaches as well, where obviously we live in a day and age now where you got cell phones and you can record anything that's out there, but you see videos of, of coaches that are 
trash talking each other at a nine-year-old baseball game and getting into fights with each other on the field. I saw a coach push an umpire down and, and trash talk him. That's that stuff should not be happening. So I'm gonna go off the bus on that one. I'm all about uh, I'm I'm all about the the fire you know competitor of uh, coming out coming out with you. And I'm sure there's some people that are gonna say, hey, when you guys played against. Texas A&M in a regional. Um, I, I'm sure. I'm sure Ben was not sitting there acting like a choir boy, uh, not saying anything. Uh, sometimes you know emotions come out when you're in the playing field. I'm not going to say it was uh, the the right or wrong thing to do, but uh, I'm going to go just you know off the bus for right now, just for setting the example for the the younger kids who are playing out there. And I think there's a difference between pure emotion and then doing something just to get a reaction just to get tweets, just to get likes, just to get follows. I think there's something different between pure emotion and that. And what you're seeing in this day and age is a lot of people trying to instigate something just to drive up their views or drive up their retweets or their follows or whatever the case may be. And that's where I draw the line with that stuff. You were a former outfielder. All right. So number three, we're going to talk a little bit about outfield. I'm going to give you a comment. You tell me on the bus, off the bus. Live shag and BP is one of the most important parts of an outfielder's development. On the bus, off the bus with that comment. On the bus, I cannot even stress this enough. This is, if, if there was a, a statement above on the bus, then I would give that. And the reason why I say that is because my when I was in high school, I'll be honest, the, the mindset was always, listen, if you can hit, you're going to play. That was, that was what everyone thought. That's what everyone cared about. And when I was in high school, I, I was a, a very hardworking individual, but I did not necessarily do the right things with in the areas that I need to work hard at in, in specifically in baseball. And, and that's defense. I did not spend the time defensively that I needed to do. And when I got to the university of Texas, it was a major, it was a major eye-opening moment for me where I, my high school field, the Left field was 310 down the line. Center field, I think, was 365. And in the gaps, three, probably 340, 350, somewhere in there. You get to the University of Texas, where that's the biggest ball, or at least at the time, was the biggest ballpark in all of college baseball. And you get out there and you're looking around. It's a it's a big ocean, per se. And I'll never forget my first uh, fall practice. There was a ball that was hit over my head that uh, Skip Johnson, who's now the uh, the pitching coach at at OU looked at me and said, you look like Indiana Jones trying to chase after that ball and, and catch it. And he was right. And because I, I was not prepared defensively whatsoever, but going back to trusting the process, I worked day in and day out in college all throughout uh, my college career of during batting practice to you take it seriously. And, uh, and we would play, we, I mean, we would have intense competitions with myself and Mark Payton and Colin Shaw and guys who, that we're trying to, I mean, we're making, trying to make diving catching or catches out there and we're taking it game like. And I think when I got to professional baseball, I was, I was pretty, pretty solid uh, defensively. Now, offensively, whole different story. Uh, that's, that's ultimately why I'm sitting here and not, uh, not still playing, but from a defensive standpoint, it, I mean, it helped me so much, but just putting in that time and effort right there. And one of the things that really struck me is as well with, uh, taking reps in in batting practice and shagging is Alex Gordon uh, when I was with the Kansas City Royals when they always would have guys come talk to some of the minor leaguers and he came and talked to us uh, being a and with the outfielders and I'm going to butcher the numbers a bit for what he said but he said guys look if you just think about this over an entire 162 game schedule you know if you if you think about yourself as an outfielder let's say that each each day you're taking um, you know, three, four, five, whatever it is, reps uh, per uh, per game in batting practice. And let's say you you do a thousand reps, you know, throughout the year when it's all said and done. A thousand times that you went and shagged a baseball. Well, if me as an individual, if I look at you and say, well, I'm going to do one more, or I'm going to try to do two or three more reps than you did today for that one day, and if you start looking at that over a season, that's a massive value, right? It's a massive number, and then you start looking at okay, well, if you just did a thousand uh, reps for that one guy, but I doubled you and I did 2000, well, okay, I got a thousand more reps than you did in that one season right there. And then if we look at a 10 year career, and let's just say the one athlete did 
10,000 reps. Well, if I am constantly trying to, to double you or try to get a few more each time, that 2,000 then turns into 20,000. So that number is a 10,000 rep difference. You would think that whoever gets 10,000 more reps than someone else is going to be a better player than you over time, just from the pure work ethic and, and just the reps and everything. So um, I, I, again, that's a little bit of a long answer, but that story that Alex Gordon shared with all of us, it, it really hit home that I'm like, man, he's, he is 100% right. And thankfully I had a foundation at the university of Texas where I had some really good coaches with Tommy Nicholson, Ryan Russ, Skip Johnson, Augie Garita that pushed us to do that. Um, it's, it's huge. I, I cannot stress that enough. Start that at the youngest age possible, where if you're a defender, take as many reps or, or when you're working on your defense, I should say, take as many reps as you possibly can because everyone at the next level is going to be able to hit, but you got to find other ways to differentiate yourself and get on the field as well. That's what it's all about. Separating yourself from the rest of those players that you're competing against playing against. If you need some advice in terms of outfield play, go back, check out our outfield play episode. We did uh, several episodes back. It'd be a great foundation for you the problem with youth baseball and high school baseball these days they don't take much bp on the field so they've truly got to make the most of all of the opportunities they do get seek those opportunities out and they will make themselves a better defender number four we got two more left um players should not play multiple sports growing up on the bus off the bus with that statement this is this this ties, I guess. Or I guess this trumps uh, what we just talked about before um, with uh, with with outfield outfield play and shagging. Um, I am such a proponent of being a two sport athlete. I like I said earlier, I played football, I played baseball um, in high school, I played basketball, I ran track as well, and I recommend playing as many sports as you possibly can. And it's really for a few things and a few reasons why. I mean, I think the first thing is that just from you, from a, an athletic standpoint and maturing as an, as an athlete um, overall, that your body should not be used to doing the same thing over and over and over again, because that can ultimately lead to injuries and, and some bad things down the road, where if I'm, let's say, a right-handed hitter and I'm a right-handed uh, pitcher, and all I do as a kid from the time I'm five years old to the time I'm 18 is that same motion over and over and over again, then you're not really becoming an overall uh, overall athlete. If you're playing basketball, you're having to, to learn to um, different movements, your body that way. If you're playing soccer, you know, you're with your feet, you're playing football and you know, whatever that case may be, it's helping you out from an overall athletic standpoint as well. I would say the other thing with that too, is you're also learning, you're also learning to be in different environments um, as well. You know, when you play, I know in Texas, you could you get up to, you know, five, 6,000 people at those games, uh, which is great, but only so many of those players get that opportunity. So when you get to that next level, you're going to be playing in front of bigger crowds. And I'll never forget that the first uh, game that I started as an outfield at the University of Texas <laughs> was against Nebraska um, at, at home at uh, UCU Dishfog Field. And I'll never forget stepping out there and looking around and just going, this is just like a Friday night in the state of Texas. And I know that the, the, the big thing in, in Texas is football is king, Friday Night Lights, the movie, the TV show, and all that. And, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it is true. And being a quarterback at a, uh, at, a, at 5A school, now 6A school, with playing in front of crowds that size and larger prepared me so much more as a baseball player um, than I ever thought that when I had stepped out there, the crowd didn't affect me at all. And you see guys who are really good players, really good athletes that they're not used to being in different environments. And it, it really, uh, it can really mess with their heads um, and everything there. And I always tell people this too, just to, to wrap up on this topic that it sounds very weird, but I, I would not have gotten to the university of Texas as a baseball player if I did not play football. And the reason why is because one of the things that Skip Johnson and those guys told me that when they recruited me, they I wasn't the best pure baseball player out there. I wasn't the guy who, when you watch him throw, when you watch him hit, you go, man, mechanically, he looks like Ken Griffey Jr. or anyone like that. I mean, I was a very raw overall athlete, but they they went and watched me play football and they saw me be a quarterback uh, or play quarterback in uh, be a leader and command a huddle, command a team and play in front of a big stage and a big crowd and not let that affect me. And they said that was one of the things that 
why we wanted you here was because of you showcase your athletic ability like no other. But we know that playing in a place like University of Texas and playing um, in this environment in front of massive crowds, when we get to the College World Series, it's 25, 30,000 people in the stands, millions of people watching on TV. That's not going to affect you. And if I didn't play football, who knows if I would have gotten to the University of Texas. But um, I, I cannot stress this enough. Play as many sports as you can, especially growing up, for sure. So he is way off the bus on that comment. I tried to flip <laughs> it around on him. He's way off the bus. Great answer there. And a different way I would have taken it. We've talked a lot about on this podcast about the importance of multi-sport athletes. A lot of coaches have talked about it. And many times we've talked about it from the athleticism side. Baseball is a sport that requires athleticism, does not breed it all the time. So we've attacked it from that angle. Interesting angle you put on it. Last one here. On the bus, off the bus with this statement. The Tennessee Volunteers will win a baseball national championship before the Texas law. Off, off, off. You had to fish that. I'm, there's no, there's, there's no, there's no way that that I would even go down that route. Look, the thing is with with University of Texas is is that David Pierce and what those guys and Sean Allen and and uh, and, and those guys have done um, with with Coach Miller and, and Troy Tulowitzki. I mean, it is they are building something that it's going to be scary for years to come. And 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 that right now they're obviously having to really really good year i know they just lost a weekend series to oklahoma state but the the talent that they're bringing in is it's it is really off the charts it is they have some really good players and what they do from putting a plan together for you is i'm going to rival it with anyone in the country as well the, the things that they do from the player development aspect with the technology that they utilize from the strength conditioning aspect of things the new facilities uh, that they have invested a lot of uh, time and money into. I mean, it's you, you can't be going to the University of Texas uh, with all that right there. I mean, in my recruiting pitch <laughs> with the University of Texas as well, is you look at it's not just what they're going to do on the baseball field for you, right? It's going to be what they do off the baseball field. And when you leave that university, what position are they going to put you in to ultimately be successful in whatever avenue you go in um, in life? And, and that's what – University of Texas has provided uh, for me and all my, my teammates and those who came before me and after me. And I think that they have that going in the recruiting world right now. And I think that it's only going to be a matter of time before they, they finally you know, pull through in those, in those big games and have the ball bounced away per se, and then uh, be able to get another national championship and let the tower burn orange again. <laughs> I do love well, Tennessee though. I do love, uh, I do love what they're doing for sure. Don't get me wrong, but there's, no way. I, I, and of course, the, this year, what you watch, Tennessee's going to win a national championship. And I'm going to look <laughs> dumb on this podcast, but there's no way I think that that's going to happen in University of Texas with that all the way. Well, that remains to be seen. And when this episode airs, it'll be right around the time of the College World Series. So I'll be interested to see who makes it there. That wraps up our time this week on this edition of Riding the Bus. Ben Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Really appreciate it, and thanks again for your time. And when we come back, we'll close out this edition of Riding the Bus the way we always do with our stealing home closing thought and our bus driver of the week right after this. And we are back to close out this edition of Riding the Bus. What another great episode with Ben Johnson and so much great information, not just from his time at the University of Texas, but his time spent with Virtual Combine and how important and awesome that resource is for players, high school coaches, travel coaches, and college coaches alike. Can't thank him enough for coming on and joining us today sharing some great stories about Augie Garrido, his time at the University of Texas. Such a great, great piece of information that you can take, add to your development bus, keep that thing rolling at top speed. We want to give our Bus Driver of the Week this week. Um, the Bus Driver of the Week award goes to Nick Olson, 2023 right-handed pitcher from Whitfield Academy here in Georgia. 
He's a 2023 arm that possesses a fastball in the mid-80s, plus changeup and developing slider. His lower arm slot, present arm speed, and upside make him a very attractive pitching recruit in the 2023 class. For all these reasons, Nick Olson, you are our bus driver of the week. And we'll close out this episode the way we always do, our stealing home closing thought. One thing that Ben mentioned that I wanted to call back to is the quote that Augie Garrido gave them before the 2014 College World Series. And he said, the world treats winners differently than it does losers. And I think that is an important quote to dissect a little bit because it's very important that you define what winning is. Do not let the world define what winning is. You have the opportunity to define what winning is for you. It doesn't always mean going out and going three for four or having a walk-off hit. Winning many times is commitment to the process. We've talked about this a lot. We also mentioned the importance of being your own coach, taking pride and taking and uh, taking ownership of your development as a player. You define what winning is. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. You set your goals for how you're going to win each and every day, and then you go out and you accomplish them. That's our time this week. That's our time on this edition of Riding the Bus. I hope you guys have had a great start to your summer. I can't wait to see some of you out there on the road this summer. Until then, until we see you next time, keep that development rush rolling at top speed, and we'll see you down the road.